Prescriptions, co-pays, lab tests, even with insurance, healthcare can cost thousands every year. But not for me, because I'm enrolled in VA Healthcare. My service was then. My benefits are now. Get what you earned. Visit choose.va.gov. Not all veterans are eligible for the type or amount of benefits mentioned here. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome to On The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And on tonight's episode, we're going to get into discussing the players that the Orioles recently added to their 40-man roster. That'll be a little bit later on in our show. But first, I'm going to introduce tonight's guest. He is an infielder in the Orioles minor league system. Just had an excellent 2022 season, which started out in low A Delmarva before being before moving up to high A Aberdeen and then ending in double A Bowie. Uh, he is Daryl Hernandez. Daryl, how are you? Doing good. How are you guys doing? Good, and it's great to have you on here. And – just, you know, we're a few months out now from the end of the season, and you obviously had a lot of things go really well for you, um, excelling at three levels of the minor leagues. But now that you've had time to think about it, what do you think were the strengths and weaknesses of your season? Yeah, I mean, starting off, um, it was tough for me to go back to Don Marble. That was kind of a little bit tough for me at first. And then I feel like, um, just helping the young guys out. They didn't really know what they were doing in a lot of things. And I had to kind of guide them and kind of walk them through a lot of things. It was a lot of little mental things. And that kind of helped me out, kind of being more mature and helping being a better teammate, I guess you could say. And then after that, I mean, I had I did pretty good there, I would say. And then getting called up to Aberdeen, it was uh, just a little bit different, obviously. And then it was a lot, like, more, I guess, more mature game, you could say, than the low-way game. And then I feel like some things I did well this year was I ran pretty well. I had a decent amount of stolen bases. 
Um, I feel like I played some pretty good defense at first. I was making some errors, but I cleaned that up. And then I feel like I uh, made a lot of contact this year, some good contact. It wasn't just uh, put the ball in play. It was more like hitting the ball hard. Some things that I didn't do as well, I would say it was that I remember the errors in the beginning. I was kind of making a lot of errors. It was a young team too. That was tough a little bit at first. And then some other things was, well, I guess just not naturally in baseball, just the ups and downs, just trying to limit the downsides. But I feel like I had a pretty good year overall and then ultimately ended up uh, struggling in Bowie and that little bit that I got called up. But I'm really grateful that they uh, called me up and let me experience a level before uh, next year. So now I know what to expect versus just staying in Aberdeen the whole year. Yeah, you mentioned going back to Delmarva. I think I know the three of us are pretty shocked to see you that break camp roster and see you back in Delmarva, expecting you to be in Aberdeen. We thought you had a pretty decent year uh, that 2021, and especially considering you were what, 19 years old uh, that season as well. But you go back to Delmarva, and we had Sam Jelinek on a couple of times actually this season. And honestly, the story he told the first time he came on was my favorite story that any guest told this season. And he talked about that the leadership role you took on in Delmarva, even telling guys like, hey, it, it's cold. Like, I don't think you understand how cold it's going to get tonight. Make sure you wear long sleeves. But even little things like that, I mean, uh, what was that just, what was the, the vibe like for that young Delmarva team? Uh, considering there's a lot of young international teenage prospects who were probably learning more about life than, than baseball down there at the beginning of the year. Yeah, honestly, I, it's so much that I could tell you stories for pretty much this whole time. It, it's tough. You don't even think about it just because you're used to it. Like you, that's just what your life is. You're used to it, but they're not used to it. So it was kind of just their everyday lives outside the field in their apartment. I was like, Hey, make sure you like, you do this, make sure you do that. And they had no clue. They had no clue. So I kind of was like a big brother to them more. And they, a lot of them see me more like as a big brother more than anything else, even though I'm the same age. But it was more like, hey, make sure you do this. Or like, hey, guys, like, let's make sure you're on time. Because just different things like that. It was it was crazy. But, yeah, man, those first couple of games, it was really cold. And I was like, hey, guys, make sure you guys wear long sleeves. And they would just wear the thin long sleeves. And I'd be like, no, I don't understand. It's going to be, like, really cold. Like, you need to, like, make sure you get, like, bundled up. So then, yeah, it was fun, man. When I was there, when I first got uh, moved there, I was surprised, too. And I was a little bit upset, but I mean, I just try to make the most out of it. And I'm, I'm really grateful for it because it taught me a lot about, um, I mean, I was born in Puerto Rico, but Puerto Rico is not even close to Dominican. And I grew up over here in the States. So it just like made me relate to them a lot more as a human being, just because they don't know, or they, nobody tells them anything. And I felt like I helped them out a lot in that way more than just baseball. Yeah, that's really cool. And first off, shout out to Sean Poland and Fernando Delgado for helping us get connected here to make this happen tonight. But uh, yeah, so, you know, these guys, these young guys coming from the international side, did, was there anyone that really jumped out as far as just raw ability, even if, you know, took some adjustment to get to the, the climate, the full season ball? Did anyone stand out as like a special talent? I would say, you know, who I think is really good. Uh, Dayson. I think Dayson is really good. I think I, it was tough for me to watch because I know how good he is or I've seen him in practice or whatever. And the raw ability, I personally think is it could be like a special. 
but it's just so raw and he had trouble navigating stuff like that. I was like, Hey, you got to do some things. You got to take care of everybody, this and that. But he struggled. And I feel like he also got cut off, caught up and like had a couple of bad games and like, I need to change something. And, and he hits a lot of ground balls. So he was trying to lift the ball too much and then striking out. And it was like, it was a little bit more mental, I would say, but I think the, I think he has a really high ceiling if he learns to, I guess it's more mental more than anything, but yeah. I think he could be really, really good. Yeah, we're still high on him. And we liked, even though obviously you were disappointed to go back to DeMarva, we really liked the way you came out and just dominated that league second time through. Was there anything, you know, at least was it able to show you how much you had improved from the prior season to go back to that same level? Yeah, it, it honestly did. It also, that's also why I'm grateful for going back because feel like maybe I wouldn't have had as good a season in, I guess, Aberdeen if I didn't have as much confidence, maybe. Um, who knows? I feel like I had a ton of confidence in spring training, but I guess just seeing it in a full season, like starting off hot and hitting homers or whatever, it was it was cool. And it just made me feel like it gave me a lot of confidence. So it was that was awesome. Yeah. Speaking of Aberdeen, it seems like it's a really tough place to hit. Maybe underappreciated aspect of that park, especially for power hitters, seems to really take a lot of the sting out of the ball. Maybe it's deep in the right places. I'm not exactly sure why, but what was your experience like hitting there? And is it as much of a unique challenge as it appears to be? Yeah, I think I think it is. Uh, thankfully, I, I played pretty well there, but it was tough. And I noticed it. Thankfully, like I said, I played pretty well, but those uh everybody's complaining pretty often um the center field uh the backdrop what's called the batter's eye is see-through mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. you when it's six o'clock or six thirty, seven o'clock when the game starts at seven the first couple innings you can't really see the spin at all and then after that the gaps are just really 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 deep the lines aren't bad but the gaps are really really deep and I don't know what it is, but the ball doesn't really fly there. When we went to the South League, it was man, it was easy to hit compared to <laughs> our field. But other than that, I know before there was a trouble. There was a light in center field, like a night light, like a post. And there was a light. So the ball was coming out of that light, and you couldn't pick it up. But they ended up turning that off. So that was hard, too. And, man, it was, it's a lot of, it was a lot of things. But uh, – some of them ended up getting fixed. I don't know if you guys remember, there was a storm at some point and the lights got messed up. Mm -hmm. So you couldn't see the ball for a couple of days too, but then they ended up fixing that too. But it, yeah, it's a lot of little things that the the turf isn't very fast either, as you would think playing in the turf field. It's not that fast. So it's just little things like that, but I don't know. I guess people have struggled. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, if you have some of those nights, I know, you know, talking to guys like Kobe Mayo and Connor Norby, like they get called up to Bowie and, you know, you see some some fans that you know, pull up there, you know, the stat lines and say like, well, they weren't hitting that well. And you're like, you talk to the guys and you're like, well, actually, like I was hitting the ball extremely well. And you look at how many home runs I got robbed or what your batting average maybe should have been. Um, you know, telling you're talking about kind of what you can you know, on a night to night basis. What are what are the coaches sit down and talk to you guys about, or what are you looking at and saying like, how difficult is it to say like, all right, I should have had three hits last night, or like two, a two home run game, but I went zero for four. 
what are you guys looking at and going over and saying, all right, just keep doing what I'm doing and hopefully the hits just start falling. Yeah, the main thing that uh, that they preach is hitting the ball hard and a good trajectory. So I would say, like, let's say you get three of those that night and you go 0 for 4. That's something also I learned this year versus last year. I was Last year I was a little bit more concerned about the actual stats. This year I was kind of more, I guess, just playing the game. But basically, let's say you hit three balls hard tonight and you go 0 for 4. So you – the next day or whatever, you have a report, and that report is seen all the way up through the system. So they know that you hit three balls hard, right? And like it wasn't just an 0 for 4 with four bad at bats. So it's seen and it's being tracked. So that gives everybody the confidence in the org to just hit the ball hard or, you know, just have a good at bat rather than and control the strike zone. They also see that. So, I mean, just kind of more the process more than the result because i guess if you go four for four four bloopers i mean everybody will take that i promise you but at the end of the day those days that you don't do good and you have good process behind it it's also being seen how do the coaches do in selling that to you because i'm sure that that is a bit of an adjustment where you're not necessarily having to focus on the day-to-day stats that we can see in a box score yeah, so after, like I said, last year was a little bit tough for me because I would be, let's say, I don't know, over my last, I don't know, let's just say 10. And I'd be hitting the ball pretty good. But I'd be like, my dad or something would be like, hey, like, what, what happened? I didn't see the game, but I saw you went over again. Like, I'm like, actually, I hit the ball well. Like, I feel good. But, you know, you can't really tell, I guess, sometimes, unless you watch the game, maybe. But it just gives you that confidence. And the coaches, like I said, preach that every day. And, like, they see that. And they they can show you your numbers. Like, let's say, for example, like hard hit rate or whatever. Speaking of coaches, um, you spent a good portion this season playing under first-year manager Roberto Mercado, who was honored with the organization's Calric Senior Player Development Award. Can you give us some insight into the impact he had on you and your teammates yeah, it was it was awesome playing for him, especially uh, he has family from Puerto Rico, so we had that little connection too, so that was cool. His parents are from Puerto Rico. But uh no, he was awesome. He he loves winning. He uh he's really competitive. I uh I learned that. Um for example, we would pinch hit a little bit more than other teams would. Things like that. Try to win games. So it was it was awesome. Uh, he worked on me on a lot, like especially my uh, what's it called my jumps while playing defense, my reads. I guess you could say that was the main thing that we worked on defensively, me and him specifically, because uh, sometimes I would get let's say a little bit lazy with my feet in the pre pitch. So that was one thing he like was on me about, making sure I was I got that down for the higher levels. But it was awesome working with him. He was. He's awesome and he loves winning. So I really enjoyed that because I'm a competitor. Yeah, it was looking at his resume and you have to imagine the Orioles saw a bright future with him in this organization to have no pro experience and to be right there in high A. And that team goes to the championship series. Speaking of that championship series um, that we were talking about a little bit before we came on air, but you spent a good chunk of that year in Aberdeen, but then in the year in Bowie, obviously you want to end in Bowie. You want to end in Baltimore. That's the goal. But um, 
what is that like for you to look back at that Aberdeen team and be like, was there a part of you that was like, Man, I kind of wish I was playing in that championship series, kind of see that through? Yeah, um, when I got called up, it was a, it was a really good feeling. I wanted to get called up, but at the same time, I was like, I mean, I just kind of just want to finish the year out and try to go win to get a ring. I wanted my ring. My first year, we almost we almost had it, but uh, the hurricane. I don't know if you guys know about that. Uh, yeah, cut it short, yeah but, season got washed out. Yeah, I thought it was gonna be for sure the year, and I thought we were gonna be able to do it, but uh. Then I got called up and I was like, well, I mean, I can't be mad about this. <laughs> so I just, I mean, it was uh, awesome in double A and I was watching every game. I ended up uh, getting a COVID. I don't, I don't know if you guys know that or not, but yeah, but I was watching every game online on my uh, MILB. So I was on it and I was uh, cheering them on. It was unfortunate they came up short at the end, but yeah, it was, I was a little bit like, man, I wish I could help them out some way. <laughs> But, uh, no, I mean, it was cool. It's just baseball. It's just minor leagues, you know. It happens all the yeah. time, so. Yeah. One, what are you going to do, right? <laughs> yeah. One thing that I think really stood out to me, at least this year, was the number of guys who were in Aberdeen and made the jump to Bowie. And it just seemed like these guys just didn't miss a beat after that promotion. <laughs> Connor Norby turned into Barry Bonds down there in, in <laughs> yeah. Bowie and AAA. Kobe Mayo takes off. I know he had a little bit of an injury, but he took off. Colton Kowser, I mean, became, I don't even know what you call that, yeah. amazing. Um, you only got 13 games in Bowie. You mentioned the, the COVID. Um, so your, your time got interrupted a little bit there, but you were still four years younger than the rest of the league. And I thought, from my viewpoint, it's, I live here in Virginia, so my viewpoint is MILB TV as well. I still thought you looked confident at that plate, like you'd been in Bowie all year long. Have you found each jump as smooth as the rest of these players and everybody else make it seem to be? Uh man, I wish I could tell you it was easy. It's <laughs> not it, it's not easy, obviously. But uh I would say for guys like Kowser, Kowser got his routine down pretty well. Mm -hmm. I could tell you that when he went up to double A. I could tell you that that was part of it. Norby. I feel like Norby both – well, he had a little mechanical change. I, I'm sure you guys know that. And uh, I know at least those two guys. I don't know if I talked to Kobe too much about it, but um, Norby and Colton, I know that, like, let's say their expected numbers were more seen in Bowie rather than Aberdeen. Like, you know those balls you were hitting hard in Aberdeen that were even, let's say, doubles or fly balls. Those ended up being homers in Bowie. Mm -hmm. So it was like – I remember, uh, for example, I would call Colton or something and be like, what's going on? What's, where's this juice coming from? He's like, man, the ball is going out here. You got to get up here. So it's kind of, it's. I mean, it helps a little bit to be in Bowie rather than Aberdeen as far as um, those. But I'm sure that, I mean, when I played with Norby, like he said, he was he was ridiculous. I, it was crazy. And uh, same thing, they told me when I got there, they told me about Joey. They were like, Dude, this guy is just – I mean, I, I've known Joey was really good even before everybody, like, started talking about him. But, I mean, what he had the second half was just ridiculous. But, yeah, they were all – when I got there, they were like, it's going to be tough to replace Joey, so good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah I got to – Got to talk to Kobe Mayo like before his last game in high A. I was there and I talked to him for like a couple minutes before the game. And he was telling me about 
my expected slugging is like 150 points higher than my actual and my batting average. And he was telling me about all that stuff. And of course, I think he hit one or two home runs in that game and then got promoted and obviously finished pretty strong considering the injury. But yeah, it's very interesting just to see the difference between levels. But it isn't often that a farm system graduates the best prospect in baseball, Adley Rutschman. And then next thing you know, they replaced him with the next best prospect in baseball, Gunnar Henderson, who obviously you've spent a lot of time with. But just tell Orioles fans just how stacked and deep this organization is right now. I mean, the best way I could put it is um, I'll tell you something, actually, that other teams tell us. A lot of other teams, I don't want to say specifically who or whatever, but they'll tell us and they'll come up to us in the middle of the game and they'll be like, man, you guys got like four guys that could be hitting three hole for us in double A when I was in high A. Like you guys got like four of those guys that could be hitting for us in double A or whatever. So I would say like that's how deep we are. I feel like we have guys that are unranked or whatever it's called um, that could easily be, let's say, top 15 somewhere else. I think so. I truly think so. Because when we play other teams in spring training or in the season, I just feel like we're so much better than them. And, like, I don't mean that in, like, a mean way, but just we're so talented. Like, we're so deep in every position, I feel like. So, yeah, man, it's it's special, I think, what they're building. It's, it's pretty impressive, honestly. Yeah, we completely agree with that assessment. We put out a top 50 – every month during the season. And it's like, even guys that are, we're leaving off this top 50 are like legit prospects that could see major league time. So yeah, it's crazy. So when you were drafted back in 2019, MLB pipeline actually described you as a shortstop starter kit. Um, in other words, someone who had a little bit of everything in your game. What we've seen since then is that your power has started to shine through particularly last season, your speed on the base pass has been impressive and you've really shown off your defensive versatility in a meaningful way. Um, with all that said, is there a particular area of your game that you take the most pride in? Oof. I, I honestly take the most pride in being as five tool as I can, like being completely honest with you. I, I know that's kind of avoiding your question, but uh, seriously, I try to be like solid in every face of the game. And I feel because I feel like those players are the best players. Every someone that's solid in every way, not just, one hole. It's not like I'm going to have a Joey Gallo power or whatever you want to call it. So I try to be as solid as I can in everything, but I mean, I don't know. It's, I really do focus on everything. I try to make my defense as steady as I can. And like I said, I keep trying to run and get my bags and I mean, just hit. Obviously, if you hit, you'll be fine. So, With the defense in particular, just like pretty much every other infield prospect in the organization. The Orioles kind of moved you around a bit, second base, shortstop, third base. We see a lot of guys play infield and outfield too. Um, where where do you feel most comfortable out there on the diamond? Well, before I would tell you for sure shortstop. Now I feel pretty similar, like honestly in all of them. Shortstop, I, I've played my whole life, so it's kind of like I feel like I have the most natural range, I guess, because I have instincts there my whole life. But I feel really good at third. I feel like I'm almost a shortstop playing third because I play usually pretty deep and I go get everything. And at second base, I feel like, I mean, it's just, it's a closer throw. So it kind of makes it easier in that sense. But 
I feel comfortable in every base now, and I'm I'm happy they did that to me, and I guess everybody, because I mean now I can play everywhere. But I guess to answer your question, I guess I could say shortstop, but they all I don't really feel that much of a difference. Yes. Did you get to work a lot with uh, Tim Dijon when you were up there in Bowie? We had him on as a guest, and he seems like uh, quite the guy to, to get to work with every single day. Yeah, he brings that energy. He's uh, he's fun. Uh, yeah, I got to work with him a little bit. I got to work – I work with him every spring training, like a, de- a decent amount. And then uh, when I got to Bowie, uh, he, uh, he was on me, but he said we're going to keep working this spring training, so I'm excited. Yeah, I mean – I think it's good to have versatility, especially in the infield in this organization with so many guys coming up. It doesn't hurt to be able to play more positions. And you played with Gunnar Henderson we were talking about uh, a little bit earlier. You played with him in the GCL in 2019, almost won the title, and then started 2021 again, both in Delmarva. Uh, are you surprised by his meteoric rise through the system and how much success he's been able to have so far at such a young age? And does that, does that motivate you to follow in his, his track next year? Not one bit. I'm not even <laughs> remotely surprised. Since I uh, since I met him, I mean, everybody could kind of tell. Like we, I mean, we ended up getting him in the second round, but I mean, we'd play all the first rounders from the other teams, and I was like, dude, this guy's not even. Like, it's not even close. This guy's so much better. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what our guys did, but they were a lot smarter than, in my opinion, other teams. Because I mean, look at this guy; he's so much better. <laughs> oh, it was cool. And then he also became like my best friend off the field. So that was, that was awesome. But the reason why I'm not surprised, I'm sure you guys have heard, but he's a, he's a really good hard worker, like extremely hard worker and just really competitive. And if you guys see him play, he runs hard all the time. He's really competitive. You could tell like he cares. And like, that's kind of how I am. Sometimes I don't show it as much as he does, or sometimes I show it more, I guess. Sometimes I (laughs) get agitated, but I think I'm not surprised at all just because he has so many physical gifts like just being he's a six four, two twenty, whatever shortstop that can run and hit for power. It's just crazy. But uh he's made the most out of it. Like he truly worked hard. I I've gone to his house and worked out with him in the offseason a little bit and he works really hard. So I mean he deserves everything. He's a awesome for, I can't say enough about him. He's he's awesome and I'm not surprised one bit. Like um I don't know if you guys heard the story about him telling his girlfriend uh, that he was going to make it to the big leagues this year. Mm-mm. I didn't hear that. Hear it. Oh, well, no, it, it kind of came out in Twitter. That's where I saw it. But I, oh, okay. he told me that too, since we're really close friends when we were in spring training, he told me like, he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to make it to the, to the big leagues this year. And uh, if he would have said that to a lot of people, they would probably laugh, but. I honestly believe them just because he's so like determined and focused, and I mean it pushes me. I'm, I'm, it, it definitely motivates me as well. And to answer your other question, like for sure, that's, that's my goal to get up there as soon as possible. And the way uh, we've talked about it before is we still talk to this day pretty often, but uh, just like I'm kind of like one year behind him in a sense. Like I kind of had a similar year that he had last year. So kind of trying to replicate this year, not obviously replicated, but kind of like those steps, the double A, triple A. We'll see what happens about the big leagues, but, you know, it'll be awesome. 
Going back a little bit, you and Gunnar kind of had a similar experience where you were both high school draftees in 2019 and the pandemic wiped out what would have been your first full seasons in 2020. Do you think it was harder for you as a player coming out of high school to bounce back from that and get into the routine of playing a full season? Or do you not think there was much of a difference between you and the players that maybe had a year or two of pro ball under their belts? Um, I mean, looking back at it, you could say like those at bats. I mean, those at bats would have obviously like top develop a little bit quicker. I guess you could say just to see the pitching. But I mean, just as a competitor, I I can't say that it's that much of a difference. You like I feel like you're either gonna be good or you're not. I don't know. I just as a competitor, I don't want to say like oh like I didn't have a year, so that's the reason why. Like no, like I think you know you either are gonna have it or you're not and. You work hard. And I mean, I worked hard throughout that COVID year. So I'm sure I gained different experiences. And like, it made me more grateful to play the game. Also, like everybody has said, like having that time off. But I don't want to say it makes a difference just because everybody went through it in the world, not just like baseball players. Every sport did. But obviously in baseball, it's pretty important to get at bats just to, you know, keep developing. But I don't want to say that it made that big of a difference. So we're here in the off season. Hopefully it's wind, hopefully winding down soon. I'm ready to get you guys back out on the field and watch you guys. But um, what's your plan for the rest of this off season? Is there anything in particular you're focused on an area of your game you're focusing on, or what's kind of the general plan for a hitter like yourself over the winter? Yeah. So my main focus is off season which thankfully I'm doing a good job of is uh, putting on strength, just building my base, building my foundation for the this year, hopefully having the longest year of my life, meaning like double A, triple A, and hopefully playing as many games as I can. So just getting ready for that physically and uh, just putting on some weight a little bit. I've put on some weight every year, but this year I'm trying to put on a little bit more just because – and keeping my speed, obviously. I'm running every day or mostly every day, and I'm putting on quite a bit of weight, I would say. And uh, just uh, – that's my main focus right now. And uh, just building that base, that's, like, the main thing. And then outside of that is uh, cleaning up my uh, swing path, just making it as clean as possible. Um, just playing with guys like Norby – like you guys said, he, had a, he has such a good path. That's why he drives the ball so well to right center. So, like, like just trying to work on that, honestly, that's, like, are my main two focuses. And obviously everything, I mean, not just that, but those are my main two focuses, I would say, that just being able to drive, ball, drive the ball to right field and just get stronger. So – what are you doing in your downtime? We know that Gunnar Henderson and Colton Kowser obviously get into their Legos. That was a big story last year. <laughs> what are you doing? You playing uh, the new God of War? You playing Marvel Snap on your phone? What do you get up to? Um, well, I'm a pretty laid back person, so I kind of just hang out with the family, and then I uh, I play some video games. I got the new Call of Duty. I was actually playing with Gunnar the other day, so yeah, we uh, <laughs> we play some Call of Duty, and then. I'll play some of the show. I see. I enjoy my time playing the show right now because during the season, 
after going over for you, don't want to go play <laughs> online and take another beating in baseball. So I played I played in the off season, but I try not to play it in the season. Makes sense. And uh, last question I got is, what are your goals for 2023? Call your shot. Are you are you going to do the gunner and, and get called up at the end of next year? Set up for rookie of the year in 2024. What's going on? So I, I mean, I would love that. <laughs> um, my goals is honestly just to enjoy every day. I feel like that's what I did this year. I like truthfully, a lot of people say that, but I tried to enjoy every single game and let the stuff take care of itself. Um, my goal is just to be the best version of myself. I feel like it'll naturally take care of itself, but obviously playing two, at least two levels in one year is something every, everybody wants to do. And I guess you could say that's, that's my goal. I think everybody wants to get call up every year. So we could say that. Well, Daryl, we really enjoyed having you on tonight and thank you so much for taking the time to join us and best of luck getting ready for 2023. We're certainly excited to see you back out in the field. Thank you. Appreciate it, you guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Oh, yeah. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Daryl Hernandez, a prospect in the Orioles farm system. And in a moment, we're going to talk about the interview and get into the players that were protected with from the Rule 5 draft with 40-man roster spots last week. But first, the DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is coming soon to Maryland. But you don't have to wait to get on the action. Right now, new customers who sign up with promo code on the Verge, will receive $200 in free bets on launch day after registering. Plus, five lucky customers will win a $100,000 free bet on launch day. It won't be long until you can bet same-game parlays, money lines, props, spreads, and more right here in Maryland with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with the code on the Verge to receive $200 in free bets on launch day after registering. Plus, we're giving five customers a $100,000 bonus free bet on launch day, only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code on the Verge. So, Bob, Nick, we just heard from Daryl Hernandez, uh, a rising prospect in the Orioles system, uh, about his breakout 2022 season and some of his goals for 2023. What were your thoughts on our discussion with him? I thought the interesting for me, the talk about Aberdeen, I felt like was interesting. Um it, it truly is. We talked about this all the time, right? Guys like, you know, T.T. Bowen's only getting, what, a couple of home runs this year. Connor Norby getting called up, even though the numbers didn't look that great in Aberdeen. Kobe Mayo, all these guys. Yeah, you're working on things, but clearly there were a lot of stuff going on down there uh, in Aberdeen. Um, not just on the field as far as like field stuff, but just Aberdeen in general, man. Um, and so credit to those guys, I think, for pulling through. And it's good to hear that you know, the organization, they see that and the players understand that the entire organization sees that and they know that um, you know, they're, they're not like the fans just looking at the box scores, right? They are fully understanding what these guys are doing. And it's good that the players understand that so they feel better about that game. And so, yeah, but yeah, I'm cheering for Hernandez big time. I think we said it before that I think, honestly, and I'm not just saying this because he was just on the show, we've been saying it all year, that he's one of the more underrated prospects in this entire system, I think, and gets so overshadowed because of Gunner and Norby and Ortiz and you know, now Jackson Holiday in the system as well. But you got another one there in Daryl Hernandez. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, he's an easy top 10 prospect in any Orioles <laughs> top prospect list before, what, 2020, 2019, something like that. I mean put up a fantastic year and it's funny he said 
even before he said that he was focusing on adding weight, I was like, he seems a little bit bigger than I remember. <laughs> um, you know, it, definitely 2021 and even last year. So that's good to see. Maybe that makes the power a little bit more natural when it comes. And yeah, the stuff with the batter's eye and Aberdeen that explain, helps explain a lot there. And it's just, you can tell that the Orioles are good at player development, probably because they're good at getting buy-in. I mean, every guy we talk to, it's the same thing. Hey, this is what... You know, they wanted me to do, they want me to hit the ball harder. They want me to hit the ball more in the air. And once I started doing that, it, it just seems like they're able to get these guys to do the things that are best for them in a, I don't know, like he said, he didn't exactly buy into it ex like perfectly in 2021, but he got there and it's working. So hopefully that's just, you know, everyone's on the same page and working towards the same goal. So that, that was cool to hear. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I think that, you know, we know the Orioles have their way of looking at things for hitters and for pitchers, but for hitters, what's what we were discussing with Daryl about how hard you hit the ball, the swing decisions, that's all well and good. But if you can't sell it, then the players don't buy into it. It's not going to be implemented. I think what we're seeing in his uh, breakthrough this past season is evidence of this. The players are buying into it and they're able to make adjustments based on that. I think for him specifically, he's just such a well-rounded prospect. He just does a little bit of everything really well. And it was interesting to hear him talk about how he wants to be a true five-tool shorts, a true five-tool player, be good at a little bit of everything. Yeah, I mean, three levels last year. I mean, 12 home runs. Just in, when he went back to Delmarva, he matched his 2021 home run total in like 250 fewer plate appearances. So clearly he was learning. I mean, 21 doubles, 12 home runs last year, five triples, uh, stolen bases, 32 stolen bases. Yeah, completely well-rounded, 341 on base percentage. And he was he's just turned, he's 21, not even 21 and a half. Like he's going to be about three years younger. If He's, he's going to start next year in Bowie prep, obviously, but he's still going to be about three years younger than the rest of the competition. He's going to be a 21-year-old kid still, essentially, in Bowie at the start of the 2023 season. So, yeah, I mean, if he pops off next year in Bowie, he mentioned the COVID thing. We know that got Bowie like twice majorly last year. If he pops off in Bowie next year, yeah, by the end of the year, he could be one of those guys where he's saying, call up her nays. Where's her nays? Yeah, I kind of get like him and Gunner's friendship. It's like Manny Machado, Jonathan Scope vibes. That would be cool to see them in the major leagues together doing like cool handshakes in the clubhouse or something. But it's just the more we see from these guys, it's like, who was it we talked to? Pretty much everyone, but not just are these players talented. They seem like they have good heads on the shoulders, seem like good people. And, and, and yeah, I, I don't want to trade anybody now. We got to keep them all. We got to, <laughs> we got to find a way to fit them all on the roster. Yeah. That was um, Brad Selick. I think if when you guys had him on, and I, I went there for that one, but that's that quote he said, he, he told you guys just stuck with me. It's if a guy fails in this org, I don't want it to be because he didn't have the makeup. So they're going to, they draft guys who have just as good head on their shoulders as they do baseball talent. And yeah, with all the interactions we've had with players, you see that, I mean, these are all dudes and uh, even the stories you hear, and we didn't really get into too much of it with Hernandez there, but the stories of the coaches themselves saying there's no clicks. It's not like hitters over here, pitchers over there. It's everybody's like one solid unit. And that's just, it's just fun to see. And the story about how other teams coming up and saying, yeah, you guys are stacked. 
I think that's a testament to, yeah, this farm system truly is a, a stacked unit. Yeah, I like the, you know, the story with Dasan. He he still thinks Michelle Dasan has a lot of talent, and so do we. So that was good confirmation on our end to stick with him. And maybe 2023 is the breakout year for that guy who we thought might have might have been happening this past year, but wasn't meant to be. Well, speaking of talent in the organization, that was reflected with last week's decision to protect five players from the Rule 5 draft by giving them spots on the 40-man roster. If you listened to our show last week, we talked about these five players a lot, so it's not a particular surprise to us that Grayson Rodriguez, Seth Johnson, Drew Rahm, Noah DeNoyer, and Joey Ortiz were given 40-man roster spots. So that works out to a total of four pitchers plus a position player, all of them but Johnson, who had Tommy John surgery last summer, should be out in the field healthy and ready to go in 2023. Um, you know, I think that kind of the takeaway that I had was, number one, it's a, another show of how deep this organization's pitching depth is and how deep it's getting that we see four pitchers um, protected, three of which could play a role in the major leagues next year. And then Ortiz, just the rise he has had um, over the last year, really going back to the start of 21, but then 2021, but then in particular, the second half of 2022 to become one of the best infield prospects in an organization that is stacked with infield prospects. So, Bob, um, I don't think that the news was particularly surprising to us to see those five players protected, but what were your thoughts? I was just pleasantly surprised. I mean, I was glad. I, I thought, I think I said all five were locks, but still, it's like, you know, we saw Logan Gillespie be like that surprise guy last year and and uh, Vespi left off. So you never know what the what the team's going to do. But yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised to see Denoyer on there. I'm sure some people were not as convinced as us that he was a lock to be added to the 40 man. But um, yeah, I was happy. I thought maybe there could have been a mystery sixth guy or maybe for the fact that they left someone off that they had a trade close to enacting but obviously that hasn't been the case although it has been exciting to see i think today and maybe last night just orioles and michael Elias name keep coming up when it comes to you know who's who's active who's in active trade and free agent discussions it seems like the orioles are all over it which is cool to hear until we get some actual traction there but yeah um i bet you all four of those guys that are healthy johnson obviously not going to make his major league debut in 2023 but I bet you all three, four of those guys uh, will be pitching slash hitting fielding for the Orioles at some point in 2023, and I, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I for me, no shocker. I was the only shock, you know, there wasn't that much of a shock, but I was expecting a surprise six person. Um, I thought it would have been fun. I was still waiting for the uh, Kate Stroud chaos to commence, but. Um, <laughs> Like, I honestly enjoyed some of the quotes. I know all these guys jumped on Zooms with Orioles reporters. Uh, and I like some of the quotes where I thought were just a little bit interesting. Like Joey Ortiz you know, talking about how, you know, he never really heard this, you know, glove first kind of moniker before. Uh, and now he's on this mission to prove to everyone that he's not just this glove first shortstop, right? That he can really do it all. And I think shout out to Jeff Ponto over at Baseball America. He was putting out some good numbers you know, looking at Ortiz, the guys who were added to 40-man rosters, and Ortiz was up there among the best of them in terms of average exit velo and chase rate and swing rate. And so, like, Joey Ortiz, the bat thing, that's legitimate. And Drew Rahm wanting to add a couple ticks to, to the fastball velo, right? Um, 
I did find it interesting where he, I don't know if this is just him being humble and saying what you got to say in the interview, but he wasn't sure where he stood. And so he was, you know, really happy, obviously, to get that call. But we know Rom. I feel like that's when he was on our show, he knows exactly what kind of pitcher he is. He knows exactly what his ceiling is with his velo, which is why everything else, all other parts of his game, he's worked so hard on. But yeah, if he can add just a tick or two, we know the data about every tick on that fastball, how uh, less productive hitters are against that fastball. So if he's a guy who's sitting 94, 95, I think he could really take off in the big leagues. And then, you know, Denor, it's just, I think it's a testament to this organization really does believe he has major league stuff. What their future role is, I don't really know, but I put Denor in this group of like Ryan Watson and Justin Armbruster, Peter Van Loon even, and some other guys, like they had really good 2022s and they're right there, like on the verge. I always want to say that phrase and I hate saying it. Like, <laughs> I feel like, but I can't think of another phrase there, but those guys are all like right there on at this tipping point of, they could be really good productive major leaguers or flame out here. And what they've shown is, I think with Denori's case specifically, it's the Orioles believe in that stuff. So we'll see if he makes it to the big leagues next year. Yeah, with Rob, I mean, I think he's. we've always thought very highly of him. He's been in our top 15, top 20 pretty much ever since we started doing these rankings. And, I mean, he's still, what, 22 years old? So he's got a better starter kit than John Means did when he came up and became the ace of the Orioles. So, I mean, potential is there. And his floor is high as well. Like, easily could be a multi-inning reliever, just able to – especially if he's going to be able to sit – in close to the mid nineties, I mean, he's going to be a weapon, whether, whatever the role ends up being. And again, I, I'm just starting to really get excited for next season already. And it's November. So. Yeah, completely agree. And I want to talk about the Neuer for a minute, because to me, this is such a good story. And I don't know that you can really say enough good about it. He was an undrafted free agent in 2019, back when the draft was still 40 rounds. Uh, he does not get drafted. He gets picked up by the Orioles later that summer. And really what he has done, especially last year and in the last two years, is emerges as one of the better arms in this farm system. And he's the kind of guy who you could look at and you, you know, it's easy to say reliever. And ultimately I think that's probably where he slots in, but there's the makings of a potential starter there with the stuff that he has. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he's pumping mid-90s as well. He's got a ridiculous curveball. The slider, I think he's another one of these guys that picked up that uh, Jordan Lyles sweeper or whatever, Austin Voth, you know, that sweeper. It really works for him, and he's got a really good changeup as well. I mean, he's got a four-pitch mix, and we've said it for years now. The organization clearly believes in this stuff, and the results are there as well. So, yeah, I see no reason to believe that he couldn't be like a Drew Rasmutin for the Rays, like a guy that can surprisingly give you five, six really, really solid innings most times out and just surprise a lot of people. And it, you just look at his numbers, too. And in double A, I know I don't know where exactly I saw this, but there might have been an issue about like stretching him out. I guess he really didn't get the opportunity to like fully stretch out. And so maybe the Orioles did want to use him more as a starter, but it just didn't work out that way. I know he was on the IL, I think, a couple of times himself. But um, you just look at those double-A numbers, like 51 and two-thirds innings, 
more than 12 strikeouts per nine innings and less than two walks per nine innings. Like that's going to play at the double A level. Um, ERA at 2.61 and the XFIP not much higher, 3.06, right? So and this guy's clearly got the stuff. He had a really good year out there in Arizona. I think all things considered, when you look at the hitting talent, when you look at the pitching environments, I think Bob mentioned this a lot last week. Um, he's coming off that really good performance as well out in Arizona, setting himself up nicely for 2023 where like, we'll see. I, I don't really, honestly, at this point, I don't even really care if he's in the rotation or in the bullpen. Like if the organization believes in the stuff that much, we talked about before how you know, the changing role of baseball in games, right? If, if he wants to be that Drew, Drew Rasmussen, that's perfectly fine too. Or if you just want to be this guy that, you know, he's a four inning guy out of the bullpen, uh, you pair uh, with a Dia Hall or you pair with a Grayson Rodriguez. Cause I'm sure, you know, the, the rain's not going to be completely off Grayson Rodriguez next year in the major league. So you pair these up with guys and that's just going to be, I think baseball, that's how this game's moving forward. And it's, it's smart. So we'll see, we'll see what happens with Denor. I'm excited to see what he can do in AAA first though. So still got one more test. Yeah. I mean, and this trend in baseball, I feel like the Orioles are really set themselves up for it just because obviously we don't have those top end guys outside of Hall and Rodriguez, as everyone wants to point out. But we are stocked with depth with guys like Denoyer and Armbruster. And we could just list 30 names. But I mean, there's only five starters. There's still plenty of room for guys with the stuff and the talent that that a lot of the pitchers have in this organization that are going to find a role to, to help a team get to that playoffs and uh you know, the betting is opening up in Maryland. I might put my World Series bet on the Orioles already. Let's do it. DraftKings on the verge. <laughs> yes. Check the episode <laughs> description. Um, so I think that you, if you look at how these players want to talk about how these players fit into the team in 2023, Rodriguez would seemingly be the one with the strongest chance to make the opening day roster right now. Um, he would be in the major leagues already if not for that lab injury. We have to see how the offseason plays out with how the Orioles address their middle infield depth. But I get the feeling that Joey Ortiz could be one of those guys where after a month, if he gets off to a good start at AAA, that's going to be the name that fans are clamoring for, that they want to see. And then Rahm and Denoyer, I just think it's about getting AAA innings for them at this point. And with Rahm, you continue working him as a starter. Uh, Denoyer, you know, maybe you have a little bit of a hybrid type situation knowing that he may need to go up as either a starter or a reliever or a multi-inning reliever, but maybe try to build him up that hybrid role. Yeah, I don't see – Rom would be the only guy – Grayson's making the opening day roster. If he doesn't, there, there's an issue. Um, but Rom would be the only other guy who I think has the slightest odds of making the opening day roster. I think they're very low. I know he talked about finding a feel for a new change-up grip, so – you know, there are still some things I'm sure he could work on in AAA, but he's not going to be too long. Him and Ortiz are going to be for AAA for too long before they're going to be ready to contribute in the major leagues next year. And so, yeah, the I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I want to see what Rom looks like in spring training. What's the fastball velo at? Um, you know, is he still using that? That Does he still drop the, the arm angle? Is he still going sidearm against these major league hitters? What's his comfort level there? Like, I think I mentioned it in our live show, like if there is one prospect of all the prospects in the system, if there is one prospect who I want to pan out more than anyone else, it's Drew Rom, just because I think that'd be a real testament to the pitching development for this organization and what they're capable of. 
Yeah, I would imagine Grayson's going to start either the fourth or fifth game of the of the regular season for the Baltimore Orioles, just because you know you want to start him a little bit later, lower in that rotation, just to keep just for innings reasons, basically. Um, but there's no reason. I mean, they're going to want him to be eligible for that Rookie of the Year and get a draft pick along with Gunner. So that seems like a lock to me. And I think Rahm and Denoyer will both be in the AAA rotation to start the year, most likely. And Ortiz, I feel like he could fight for a spot on the opening day roster, especially if he comes out hot. But it depends on how the offseason goes. But worst case, he's in AAA. And if he picks up where he left off, then it's it's not going to take long for him to uh, to get – Pretty pretty close to uh, regular playing time at the major league level. I mean, spring training is going to be so much fun. It's going to be filled with guys that have potential, and we're going to get to see how they do against major league competition. Like we saw John Rhodes last year. Is it going to be Judd Fabian getting in some spring training games this year? So, again, just continue to be excited for the months to come. I'll start with Nick on this question as a follow-up point. Were you surprised that there was not a six-player protected? And could you see a scenario where maybe one or two Orioles, current Orioles, are taken in the major league phase of the Rule 5 draft? I am. I was a little surprised, like I said, that a sixth guy wasn't added just because, I mean, even if it's a reliever, um, you can stash him now. And if if you have to take him off, then I don't know. But – I think the only guy that I was kind of worried about was probably Kyle Bronovich. I don't think we really talked about him too much last week. I don't remember, but you know, Zach Peak. I know the, some of the Zach Peak stands online were, were, were getting worried. They're getting a little feisty. Zach Peak's not getting picked up. It's nothing to worry about there. Like maybe a guy like Easton Lucas or Nolan Hoffman, if since they were just out in Arizona, maybe if a scout really liked what they saw, he gets on a team's list. But other than that, like, I don't really see anybody who would get drafted and stick. I have a hard time finding one of those guys, except maybe Branovich. That's the only guy. I just feel like it's he's in this unique situation where, like, yes, he's recovering from Tommy John, but he should be back sooner rather than later. I think you always hear that, you know, the command is one of the last things to, to happen, to come back to a guy after Tommy John surgery, but he's already kind of this command artist himself. So he doesn't rely on this high velo fastball. So I imagine it won't take him too long to get back on the mound and feeling more like himself in AAA. But is a team really going to want to play that roster game with him for the next two years before he meets his requirements or whatever? I just don't see anybody getting drafted and sticking. And the only, the only other name I saw a lot of people throw out, I don't know. Am I missing something like with Adam Hall here? I saw Adam Hall's name thrown out as a big name, not protected. He's not. It's okay. If you're a Hall fan, he's not going anywhere either. Yeah, I don't really. I mean, I could see a guy or two getting taken from the Orioles, but I don't see really anyone other than Brnovich, Brnovich if uh, you know he does come back faster than the expected timeline. Like it looks like maybe a team takes a shot at him and he could stick around, but like a Lucas, I could see getting picked, or even an Adam Hall. Maybe some team takes a flyer on him, but I just can't see a player like that making it the entire year and getting lost from the the Orioles organization. So, and it's good to see. I did Vivek mentioned it in the comments, and I've seen it from other places too. That it's a pretty stacked um, eligible group for the Rule Five coming up. Um, I think I saw someone. Uh, 
wish I remembered exactly who it was saying that it could be the most talented rule five, you know, players available for the rule five draft ever. And yeah, I think there are arms and players that are going to be more valuable to teams than an Easton Lucas, Nolan Hoffman, as intriguing as they are. Um, so I'm, I'm not too concerned. I think the Orioles made the right calls and, and pitching always is going to go above position prospects in the rule five, just because you can put someone at the last man in the bullpen. It's a little easier to, to play with that than a, a guy who, you know, he's going to be on the bench a lot. How much can you develop him, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I feel like if someone is taken out of the Orioles system, it's easiest to see Easton Lucas or Nolan Hoffman going because both of them are coming off that AFL experience. Lucas being a left-hander, possibly having starter stuff could give him an edge. Hoffman is a guy who might have been protected if we had seen more of him this year. Um, you know, I do think he's at a little bit of a disadvantage compared to DeNoyer in the sense that I think he is probably more of a typical one-inning reliever than a multi-inning guy. But there's still a lot of things there to like about him, and I could see him getting protected. I think the other thing, too, is that sometimes with trying to figure out if a player is going to stick, it's almost a matter of what team takes him. Because if you go back to Zach Pop in 2021, when he was ultimately ended up with the Marlins out of the Rule 5 draft, I think he was originally drafted by Arizona and then traded there, he was pretty bad the first month of the season. And you have to wonder if that had been a team that had aspirations of contending, would he have stuck the full year? As it was, he did stick the full year, and he was fine in, in 2021. Um, but that's going to be part of it, too, is what team takes these guys and what is their depth going to look like? And then with Bronovich, I think there's an argument for taking him if you feel like he's going to come back quickly. Just like I said last week, I feel like we really don't know anything about where he is in his recovery process. And I have to wonder if he was close, would the Orioles have protected him? Um, and then it's also, too, what is that, what's it going to look like for him getting back on the mound and getting into his repertoire, especially because we know that knuckle curveball is a big pitch for him? Um, and how long is it going to take for him to get the full repertoire back? But, you know, yeah, that's a guy that I think had he not gotten hurt, might have actually been in the big leagues before the year was over. And you could see where, you know, a team, especially one that doesn't have a ton of starting pitching depth at the top of its organization, might take a flyer on him. Yeah, I just don't see, like, teams, how many teams out there would truly are truly in a position to use a 40-man spot on a guy like Bronovich or – like a, a real project type pitcher. Yeah, I, I just don't see any teams wanting, even teams that are tanking, right? That's easy to say, but those guys are still, they're still going to need every 40-man spot possible. So are you really going to use it on some high A pitcher, a guy who hasn't reached high A yet and try to work with him? I, I just, I don't know if I see that anymore in today's game. And so that's why, you know, like you mentioned, this is going to be a deep class. It is going to be fun because not having a rule five draft last year certainly helps this grow this draft class again. But like from the Orioles' perspective, in terms of you know, people being worried about other guys getting sniped, I'm not worried about the major league phase. Honestly, I'm worried about the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft. Like That's the phase that I'm going to pay attention to more because I think that's where we could lose you know, two, three guys at least. And those guys don't have to stick anywhere. They're, they are part of that organization. You don't have to stick in AAA. You don't have to stick at any particular level. They can do whatever with you once, as long as you pay what, like 10 grand, I think. 
But so that's the phase that I'd be more worried about as far as losing losing pitchers specifically. Yeah, I, I could see that, especially if you're looking at the type of arms that could be starters or relievers um, in the middle of the organization. Well, that'll be something to keep an eye on here over the coming weeks. The Rule 5 draft will be on December 7th, and we'll have more extensive coverage leading up to that. That'll be part of this year's winter meetings. Next week, we'll be joined by John Mioli, the author of Maximizing Playoff Odds, a Baltimore Orioles newsletter. He's actually coming on to talk about his work with Baseball America and the Orioles' prospect rankings, which he is doing once again this offseason. We're looking forward to having him on. That, by the way, for those keeping score at home, will be John's sixth appearance, putting him second behind Dr. Stephen Loftus at seven. Uh, so something to think about as we head into tomorrow, as we get ready for next week. In the meantime, check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for all the latest coverage on the Orioles, Ravens, college sports, and more. And while you're there, hop on the message board and join the discussion with fellow readers this site, as well as contributors. And be sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm going to give Nick a quick second here to talk about Something we're actually starting in preparation for the Rule 5 draft on Twitter that's going to be interesting. Yeah, I started this today just because I, I need something to do to pass the time over the next week. So uh, Vivek here in the comments, Vivek is the king. I'm sure we will get Vivek on as we get close to the Rule 5 draft to break these down. I am no Vivek. I am no expert here. But I've just been kind of going through. i got a thread up on Twitter. At, we'll, we'll be updating until December 7th. Just intriguing names they may not necessarily be guys that the orioles have a shot of even targeting but just interesting names numbers some videos something to do to help pass the time between now and december 7th for the uh rule five draft diehards out there well we'll be looking forward to that thank you to daryl hernays for making uh, an appearance on the show tonight for bob phelan and nick stevens this is zach spedden you've been listening to on the verge That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more. Every day my employees get scam emails. I wanted to protect my business and clients, so I checked out CISA's Secure Our World. They've got four simple ways we can protect our businesses from online threats. Learn more at cisa.gov forward slash secure our world.